quarter to three board games podcast for, uh, it's late July, almost August. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Villages of Valeria. And this is Hassan Lopez, and I am not playing Police Precinct. Hmm. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Catan as usual. Thank God. Oh my <laughs> God. Every now and then someone will describe a game to me, and I'll realize that that's just like Carcassonne, or it's just like some old game that I don't like anymore, like Carcassonne or Catan or something. Uh, and they'll be describing, yeah, it's this really cool new game. And I just, just in my head, I'm thinking, they, they haven't said anything that sets it apart from Carcassonne at this point. Uh, I'm out. <laughs> so. At least, there aren't a lot of Catan clones, though. No, I don't think so. I mean, other than the, you know, themed versions of Catan, like Star Trek and stuff. Right, right, right. right but I guess it's... Right. it's does Catan have a spinner? And I'm, am I even remembering that correctly? Uh, no spinner. It's dice. It's all dice, and then okay. the numbers on the hexes tell you which one. Generates I think that resources. that speaks to how little I think of Catan that I can't even remember <laughs> as a spinner. <laughs> I've I've been tempted by the Game of Thrones Catan, embarrassingly. I think it's got like a wall mechanic, and I don't know. It looks like it adds a little bit more flavor to it. I I would show up for that board gaming night, like out of curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> Although I was disappointed to find that the wall is just holding back the wild the wildlings, but yeah. not the White Walkers. I think I think that's how oh. they have it. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that's that's not much of a threat because the wildlings actually they seem like pretty decent people. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Mike, I want you to go first because I'm curious what you. I've actually played this game you're about to talk about. Okay. Uh, and I want you to first lead off by telling us what it's representing. Like, what's the theme of this game? <laughs> this game has no theme whatsoever. It's not true. There's a, a fox. There's, there is a fox. Uh, <laughs> I, I played uh, Doppelt So Clever, also known as Twice as Clever, uh, a sequel to the game Gans Shun Clever. Which oh, I, I didn't realize that this was a sequel. I thought you were going to talk about the original one. All right. So, okay, nope. I haven't played it then. I've actually never played the original. I've only played the sequel. I just uh, knew of it. Uh, but the fox kind of... is back, so there's one little fox space still, yep. right? Yep. Cool. Okay, good. So it is a, it's a, a roll-and-write game, right, where you have a score pad and you roll dice um, and end up scoring in different categories. Uh, kind of the cool little mechanic is so there's uh, six different dice of different colors, and after you roll the dice and you pick one of them that you're going to score, say... All uh, D6s, right? Like it's yep, not doing all D6s. Yep. Yep. Okay. yep, So there is a silver, a yellow, a blue, a green, a pink, and a white die. And let's say I roll and I'm going to score the yellow die. I'd use whatever numbers rolled on the yellow die. And then let's say that is a four. All numbers on the other dice less than four get set to the side, uh, which are going to be used for non-active players. And then I get to roll again... The dice that I still had left. So on your initial roll, if you rolled, uh, let's say the yellow die was a six, and I picked it, I uh, because I'm picking the six, I'm going to forego all the other dice less than six, which might be all of them. Uh, and in a given turn, you get to roll three times. So pick three dice as long as you have dice remaining. And then those dice that get moved over to the other area as you uh, make these rolls are what the other players get to pick from. Mm. So uh, the active player gets to score three times. Uh, passive players get to score one time based on the dice I didn't use. And then we go around, and everyone gets a turn doing that in each round. Did the, the last game have that kind of uh, 
thing where I roll and then some of the people get other people get my dice that I'm not using? Like, was that a feature from the last game? Do you know? I actually don't know. Okay. I was uh, I was gonna look that up for the podcast and didn't get a chance. Um, I know they're they're apparently pretty similar. Um, the sequel has a little bit more complex scoring, uh, a little bit more involved rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's you know each die color has a cool different way of generating points. Um, it's easiest if you kind of look at the score sheet, but uh, for example, the blue dice, uh, if you pick the blue, you add the blue die, let's say it's a four, you add it to whatever the white die is currently showing, let's say that's a five, and I write that number down in a little line, it says nine uh, for that total. And in the blue category, each subsequent roll that you pick has to be equal or less than the prior number. So you need to kind of plan a little bit and have a high number, and then they gradually decrease. And the further you get along, that line uh, generates more points. Mm-hmm. So if you picked a two right away, you're kind of screwing yourself over in that you're not going to get very many blue points. Uh, That's definitely that... like the original, the original one. Yeah. Is that they're, it, it's super easy to look at it and think, oh, it's just Yahtzee. But it does have this cool thing where each color has a different scoring mechanic. And it makes for kind of a cool-looking uh, scoring sheet, too. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, then the green one is you essentially multiply what you rolled by two or later in the lines by three. And then you'll subtract the next green die uh, <clears throat> from it, also multiplied by 2. So if the turn 1 I picked it, a 6, it would be a 12. Turn 2 I picked a 1, it would be a 2. And then I scored 10 points. Uh, pink dice is just additive. You add them all together and get a total. Uh, silver dice, uh, whatever one you pick, uh, you get to cross off a little bo- uh, box. There's numbers 1 through 6, uh, 4 times in the 4 main colors. Uh, and then one of the dice that you uh, gave up from picking that, you get to also mark. So if I picked a silver five and a yellow two moved over, I could pick off any five in there and then the yellow two also. And then the yellow scoring is has this kind of grid where things line up and then if you get two things next to each other, uh, they pr- uh, generate bonuses. And the bonuses are kind of what makes the game really cool because you kind of get this chain effect where when you mark certain boxes on the score sheet, it'll have a little symbol under it. And it might be uh, like a blue question mark. That means I get a free number to write in the blue section, whatever I want. Uh, And then by doing that, I might write in a number in the blue section, which generates a yellow bonus. Mm. And through some planning, you can kind of get this chain of bonuses of free numbers to write all over your sheet. And then, um, which is, it kind of creates these little combos, which I was kind of impressed with the strategy that you kind of get towards the end of the game. Like, I want to get one more box in this line, so I get a bonus which shuts off this other bonus, which generates another bonus, and you get this, you know, might get five more scores from a single roll. Right, right. Uh, and then the other thing you get is these actions you can take uh, during your rolls. Right. Uh, there's re-rolls, so after I roll the dice, I can roll all of them again. There is the ability to pull dice back from the the, the other area. This It's also, they call it a silver platter, because there's a little picture of a silver platter you set the dice on. So you can, after you... If I picked a six the first turn, I can use that take back action to bring a die back and still have more to roll the next next roll. And then the last thing you can uh, take is uh, score a die a second time, even if it wasn't one of the ones you picked. Or it could even be one of the ones you picked. So if I picked a five and then I used the uh, uh, reuse action, essentially, I could pick that five again. Uh, and you earn those uh, actions through filling in certain spaces on the sheet. So... In addition to all these bonuses of just writing free numbers, uh, you're getting these actions you earn. 
and then you can use them whenever you want. You can save them all to the end, cross them off. You could do four of them at once. Um, so you can kind of, again, this goes into the strategy of planning, you know, how I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to save my uh, extra actions for the last turn just to get a couple extra points and maybe generate some more combos. So it's, I'm, it's really kind of cool how this all fits together. Um, and then you mentioned the fox earlier, Tom. Mm -hmm. um, one of the bonuses you get in a couple places with the game, it shows this little picture of a fox. And if you earn those, that fox earns you the total of the lowest scoring section on your sheet. Hmm. So if my yellow box had no points, the foxes are all worth zero. But if yellow was my lowest and I had 10, all the foxes I earned are worth 10 more points. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's actually kind of hard to wrap your head around during the game what your final score is going to be <laughs> because of some of these things. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. You know, it's a quick 20, 30-minute game. Um, I only played it two-player, and then I played it solo once also. Um, when, when you're playing two-player, did you find yourself yeah. looking at the other player's sheet to make decisions ever? Um, uh, not so much, at least in our first game, because we were still kind of learning. Mm -hmm. um, but I could easily see that, you know, if I notice a player is mostly going after uh, blue dice, not allowing them to have a blue die by picking it myself. Right. Uh, and then kind of denying them, at least for that, uh, the passive part of uh, the current turn, not allowing them to get points. And and how do you feel about the fact that there is no theming? Like that it's just, hey, here's a dice puzzle game. Like does that, do you have any any reservations about something like that? Are you totally okay with that? I'm okay with it because it's such a short game. You know, mm -hmm. if this was a game that was an hour plus, I would want some more theming. But for something that is essentially, you know, it's not that big a box, I can throw it in a suitcase and use on a, a vacation. Uh, it's a nice little quick game for up to four players. Uh, That's actually a good point, isn't it? Is that if it's yeah. like something short and palate cleanser, it doesn't necessarily need a theme. It can just be like a little puzzle you can chew on briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that yeah. way. But overall, I'm 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 more impressed with this than I thought. I had heard of the first one, and it was kind of a little bit of a sensation, and people it was hard to find for a while. Uh, and then the the sequel came out just a couple weeks ago, and I was like, eh, I'll give it a try. I never and, uh, would have known, Mike, that that was a sequel, because I just see a German word, German word, German word, clever. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I understand, it's very similar mechanics. It's just, the, like I said, the scoring is a little more in-depth on this uh, on the sequel. And it's solitaire. It's just a, like a score challenge, like try to beat your earlier scores, that kind of thing. Yeah, so in, in, the, in a normal game, right, like I said, uh, there's an active player, then everyone else gets to pick from the secondary dice that you right. passed on, uh, and then we rotate around. Uh, in solo, uh, I do the active player portion normally, and then what I do is I roll all the dice, pick the three smallest dice, and then pretend I'm a passive player using the three smallest dice. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then there's a little chart of you know trying to get as high high a score as you want. Are you guys familiar with a game? It's uh, I think from this year. It's fairly new, called Welcome to Your Perfect Home. Mm -hmm. I am. I have it. Oh, because yep. what you're what you're talking about reminds me of Welcome to Your Perfect Home, except that game doesn't use dice. It's flipping cards to to pull up numbers. Uh, it's 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 a random number generator like dice, but and it's it's the same thing that you're talking about with German 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 word clever, uh, in that you're then just writing a scoring challenge out on a sheet, uh, but it's super themed. And although it's kind of forced in a way, but it's themed about around building a neighborhood and like digging pools and zoning areas and building different housing projects and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's it's really cute. Like it's a it's definitely a 
it's ultimately just a numbers puzzle, uh, but I like how they at least tried to make it feel like it's real estate development, uh, and it's got this sort of idyllic suburban vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely kind of a, a 50s perfect neighborhood gated community kind of thing going on. Right. Yeah. And that's and that was and that game is cool because it has, uh, they were kind of clever with how they came up with the decks of cards where the backside of the number of the yep. cards shows you an ability like you're going to score extra on pools or you can make a, you know, a duplex sharing a number next to each other because you're essentially just trying to order the numbers from lowest to highest in these three rows of houses. Right, right. And you can get yourself like backed into corners if you're not careful. And yeah, yep. yeah. Um, I, was, uh, mm-hmm. I was tempted to go all in on that one just because it had a post-apocalyptic themed uh, de- uh, pad. Isn't that true, Tom? Like, Welcome you to have... your perfect home. Because I was just going to say, when Mike was describing it as like a 50s, it, it's definitely like before the Fallout universe happened. Right. Like, it's a, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know they had a post-apocalyptic version. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah there's there's three or four... Yeah, there's three or four add-on. Essentially, they're different replacement score pads, and they have some new cards. Uh, one is a zombie apocalypse. One what? is just a winter-themed. Why and then the winter-themed ones, uh, like some of the houses have Christmas lights on them, and you get bonus points for scoring the ones that have Christmas lights on them. And then there is, there's like a survival one, too, like a, a nuclear fallout kind of one. How did I end up with the most boring vanilla one, then? What the... <laughs> Because I constantly see it referred to as Welcome To and then Ellipses, and I guess that's probably because the different ones have different names, and I ended up with the boring Perfect Home. Well, you one. have the you have the, the base game, which I, th- I think is, I don't know if it's necessary, but I I mean, it's certainly the place to start. And then the other um, the other pads are basically more advanced variants of that okay. same experience. Yep. Yeah, and you, and you need that base to, to start, uh, and then the pads come with a new score pad and a couple extra cards. But you still need that base of cards uh, with the main decks right, and stuff. Right, right. Oh, good to know. All right, yeah. Uh, also, you your description makes me... What, what is y'all's feelings on uh, Elder Sign Omens? Do you guys know that game, the Cthulhu Yahtzee stuff? Uh, yeah, I've played, I played the original edition of Elder Sign. Um, I, I know they did a re-release, which I have not played yet. Uh, I think it's decent. You know, that's a good uh, dice allocation kind of thing with a decent theme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can go insane and open things and solve mysteries and stuff. And it's not really a scoring puzzle though. It's more like yeah, you're just uh, sort of trying to to hit certain targets and if and it's super themed about yeah, like you mentioned, going insane or taking damage and you're picking up equipment and stuff. Uh, yep. But as far as like theming, just bare, blatant, bald dice rolling. Uh, I kind of right. like I like that in theory. Yeah. 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 I've 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 love hate feelings about dice allocation games like on the one hand i i think it's an interesting and uh, you know slightly it's like a reinforcing mechanic to roll a dice and try to match some sort of pattern for example right like right. an elder sign or i'm thinking of like role player or um, right. i mean there's so many games use that where you're trying to get some kind of like full house even right of these mm-hmm. uh, from these unique dice that you're rolling in the game and i think that's satisfying but every time i play one of these games i do tend to walk away feeling a little frustrated um and i i, I can't tell exactly why it might just be because they all do tend to rely on the Yahtzee thing of getting a certain number of re-rolls and that's kind of that's the the entirety to the depth of it besides deciding where you're going to allocate the dice yeah 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 uh and that that's why also like when you just disguise it all by just sort of pouring a bunch of cthulhu flavored stuff over it uh, <laughs> right i think it sort of then 
look past the the fact that you know I'm just trying to get a six. <laughs> Here I am again, rolling a six-sided die, trying to get right. a six. Yeah. Right. So, all right. Uh, so tell me, say the name again in German, Mike. Doubled. So clever. So oh, it's actually it's only one German word, which means double. Oh, okay. Doubled so clever. All right. I'm now intrigued. Well, I want to tell you guys about another dice game that uh, eventually is sort of the the final point of a journey that I've gone on. Uh, I have this weird thing, and it only occurred to me when I was thinking about, what am I going to say about this game on the podcast? And I realized, you know, this is a personal hang-up I have, that when we play board games, I'm super... uh, concerned about everyone's attention always being engaged and it occurs to me i should maybe back off of that because i i'm i don't need to always have a decision like i don't mind sitting and watching other people take their turns so i shouldn't be necessarily concerned that everybody else doesn't want to do that like i so a lot for a long time i've been looking for games that will always engage everyone and that's a little bit unfair and demanding, I think, because not <laughs> right. every game can do that, of course. Right. But what it means, though, is that I end up putting a premium on games that take a clever approach to that. And Mochikoro, or Machikoro, Mochikura, the, the Japanese city one, Mochikoro, I think, um, mm-hmm. that one was kind of a revelation for me. Because when you take your turn in Mochikoro, you're rolling a six-sided die, and then you're looking at cards that you've laid in front of you. And each card has a number, a number, one to six on it. And if you match the card, you get something. If you match the number to one of your cards, you get something. But everybody else at the table also gets to match their card to what you rolled within limits. Like some buildings fire off only on your turn. Some buildings fire off only when someone else rolls the number. Some buildings fire off both times. Um, And then eventually some people can start to roll two dice. So instead of getting one to six, they're getting a two to twelve. Um, so what I loved about Mochikoro is that every time someone took a turn, it was everybody's turn. Everybody was going to get something. Everybody was had a vested interest in what those dice were going to roll. Unfortunately, Mochikoro, I think, is a, is a bit of a mess. They added some, some expansions to it. Uh, I don't think it scales very well with these expansions. You're just supposed to slop all the cards together, and then you'll end up getting like some of the super weirdly overpowerful cards, or you maybe can't quite get certain synergies going. Um, it's also kind of straight-jacketed to each player trying to, uh, you win if you pay for these five special cards in front of you that represent like a city hall and an airport and stuff. So everybody's trying to get those same cards. Um, so fast forward to post-Mochikoro, a game called Space Base came out. And Space Base is pretty much the same thing. You roll a die, and instead of the, the city cards in front of you, they represent spaceships. Uh, but what Space Base did, which I really liked, was in Space Base, in Mochikoro, you roll one die, and you get that number. Eventually, you can roll two dice and then get the sum of the, those dice instead. In Space Base, you roll two dice, and you either take them individually or you take the sum of them. Which is super forgiving. Like if I don't have, if somebody, you know, if Hassan rolls a two and a three in Mochikoro, that wouldn't do me any good if I don't have a five. But if we're playing space base and Hassan rolls a two and a three, I can choose the two and the three. But if I don't have a two or three, I can choose my five spaceship. So space base is even more engaging to everyone at the table. Um, So I like space base, but here's the game I want to talk about today that takes that forgivingness one step further 
and I think just involves everyone at the table a lot. It's kind of a fluffy game. It's called Valeria Card Kingdoms, and the change they make is that when you roll the dice, you get each die individually, and you get the sum of the dice. So, Hassan, when you rolled that two and a three, I get a two, I get a three, and I get a five. They all fire off for me. So, Jeez. so you're you're constantly like it's constantly making things happen. Uh, there's just so much gratifying resource churn in Valeria Card Kingdoms. They even do something like the resources are, of course, gold, and then you have hearts that you use to get monster cards and the gold you use to get other cards that go into your economy but then there's mana and what mana is it's wild it could be gold or man or or hearts whatever you want so it's even super forgiving in that way like it's really hard to if you want something you're gonna get it uh and it's just really gratifying that way and it's it's got a goofy breezy fantasy theme to it uh the folks that made these games there's a whole series of valeria games uh, and the folks who make these, I think they just <laughs> like they repurpose the same artwork. Um, actually, I don't know if that's true, but it, it definitely has its a very specific goofy fantasy look to it. Um, and ultimately, they do have a kind of a cool system in there of you know cleric or like like religious characters work differently from worker characters who work differently from warrior characters who work differently from from uh, rogue characters, and they also have in addition to the characters that you put in your tableau that are numbers 1 to 12, and then you kill these monsters, which are victory points that you accumulate for the end of the game, they also have, as the big resource dump, these are super expensive and they always take gold, they have domains, which are like special buildings you can buy, and they like do things that tweak or break the rules. And some of these uh, can be super interactive by like letting me steal resources from you guys, or letting me cancel or change one of my dice, um, so it's, it's another dice game, but I just love how generous it is to everyone at the table. It always gives everyone something to do. Uh, it's also super modular in that, you know, any given number, if you get the expansions, has four different cards. So when I play a game, I'm laying out the cards 1 to 12 that everybody can buy from. When you play Mochikoro, you can only buy whatever cards flip up. So if a card doesn't flip up that I really want, I'm out of luck. When you play Space Base, you only flip up six cards at a time from each tier of spaceship. If one of the spaceships out there isn't one I want, well, I'm out of luck. In Valeria Card Kingdoms, every card is out there for everyone to buy. There's a stack of ones, of twos, of threes, of fours. If you can afford it, you can get it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's just one that I've been rolling out a fair amount lately. Uh, But then I realized, you know... I. The guys I play board games with, they they can be patient. They can wait and take their turn. I don't have to force them to play Valeria Card Kingdoms every time. Does it does it ramp up too quickly? Is it too generous in the sense that like um, your, your tableau just explodes really really fast and it's over before you know it, or yep. is it a satisfying kind of conclusion? Um, I it's not, I'm it always feels like oh you won already oh man right. I could have gone several more turns. And I don't know if that's necessarily a drawback because it, it, it does move quickly. And it's it's something that moves quickly, but everybody's getting to do something. Um, so it's not like I never got an economy going because I got one going. It's just I needed a few more turns. Uh, and the way it ends, by the way, is when – because there's, there's, a, there are five, there's a, a row of five monsters – and then there's two rows of, of creatures of, of characters that you buy for your tableau, and then there's a row of five of those domain cards. Once a certain number of 
these stacks is empty, the game ends just suddenly like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're never quite sure when the ending is going to come around, and that sort of also lends to what you're talking about, Hassan, that, oh, it's over already? I, I needed a few more turns. Um, but I kind of like that. I, I like games that don't have... Um, where the ending is uncertain. I like that uncertainty, and I like the stakes that that adds. Right, right. So. How would you compare it to Res Arcana? Because I know you were pretty hot on Res right. Arcana. Right, this, this seems like it has a similar feel, um, although it doesn't have the everybody's getting rich at the same time thing going on. Well, it doesn't. also doesn't have the really cool, like, evocative economy that Res Arcana has with like fire mana and water mana and the way dragons work uh, and the, the way that you can the, these sort of uh, super buildings that you're buying and the cursed forge where you need to feed it fire so that it gives you death. Like it has none of that. It's, it's just like gold and, and hearts to kill things and like right. I mentioned the mana is just wild so it's way like Res Arcana is a, is a much more dense, rich uh intricate economy that you can play with this is just splashing around crazy numbers uh and before you know it you're done with it yeah Mm. um the valeria games i'll be honest like they they never they they bleep off my radar so quickly because there's been a plethora of them like there's a bunch of them and i can't ever keep them straight in my head like when you when you said you were going to talk about card kingdoms, I was like, I don't know what the fuck that one is. Like, is that because if you look at the list of them and there's there's a bunch, and you're right, I think they do reuse the artwork, right, which probably saves them a ton of money, but it makes it harder for me to mechanically keep them separate from one another. Well, they're also the the same things in that you're you're recruiting villagers, you're fighting monsters, and you're building these buildings. It's just right. different ones put emphasis on different things uh like valeria card kingdoms the emphasis is on the characters uh but villages of valeria it has characters it has it might not have monsters but it has characters and has buildings but the emphasis on that is on the buildings and the characters are kind of ancillary um but i I would actually recommend um valeria card kingdoms it's just super breezy there's it's nothing super special about it but it's a way to keep everyone at the table super entertained um Valeria Card Kings, I think, is a far better design because it does a really cool thing that I've almost never seen. I can only think of one other game that does this. It has a closed economy in that everybody starts with, I think, like five gold. And there's never – that's it. That's all the money that's ever going to be in the game. So, uh, like, like money matters, and who's sitting on money matters. Uh, I, I really like that dynamic in Valeria Card Kingdoms. Uh, so – but so yeah, but uh, if you're worried about keeping keeping people from getting bored checking their phone, Valeria Card Kingdoms is is the game to go with. Yeah. Now I I know we were just poo pooing this, but Settlers of Catan does this right, you know, and I I always have felt that it's one of the things that made Settlers kind of exciting for people when it was introduced is, you know, one person would roll the resource die and like, hey, we all get resources, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually was something that kind of blew people away at the time. It was, you know, the the idea that right. I might get a benefit even when it's your turn, and that makes me engaged. Um, even in a game like Catan that does have a tendency to drag, you're 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 always interested in seeing what your op- opponents are going to roll on that stupid die. Hassan, that's a great point, and I uh, I never even I guess Settlers of Catan definitely deserves credit for that. Yeah. It's a shame that they made it before we knew how to design good board games, though. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Alright, Hassan, as I mentioned before, I'm counting on you to save me some money. This game looks super cool. It's the sort of thing that I'd be like, yeah, I need to find a copy of this. Talk me down <laughs> off that ledge. Save me $100 or whatever. Right. Well, the, yeah, the story behind this will kind of mirror what you just said, which is that I was this. This is a, one of my purchases from Origins. And I, 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 I don't know if this is a foolish thing or if this is just something people normally do at conventions. But I told myself I was going <laughs> to spend some money and I was going to specifically go shopping for a new solitaire game. So it was it's like a little mini quest at a convention. You're like scoping around for something in particular that you you're just going to splurge on. And. Now, is this based on seeing demos of things, or are you just, like, at a game store also looking at boxes? Like, how this, much this, do you get to know about it before you splurge on it? I mean, this that's the advantage of a convention, is that you really do get to get to at least see a demo or play it a little bit. So, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I wanted to buy something that I at least got to see in action. Um, and I was wandering around Origins, and it was actually the last day I was there, and it was in the farthest corner of the Central Hall, and these two brothers, these two twin brothers, actually, the Sadler brothers, had set up their stall. They, they're they the publishers um, of, they're, they're called Blacklist Games. And they had set up a copy of Brook City, as well as a copy of their newest Kickstarter. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now. Um, uh, it was it was recently on Kickstarter and did really really well. I'm I'm looking it up really quick right now. It's uh, Alter Quest. Alter Quest. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So they've done Street Masters, Brook City, and now Alter Quest, and their focus is on developing um, solitaire and co-op games that are big and thematic and have a ton of variability. I would say those are sort of their core design. Uh, goals in each of their each of their games and i'll be frank with you like one of the brothers just had he just sold it to me like he just you know i, I was looking at it and brook city has a really boring name but it, it it does pop out at you when it's all set up on the table it's it's trying to capture the magic of like an 80s buddy cop action movie so it's got this big map of a city brook city uh, you you're gonna put, take on the role of a of a cop, uh, and it probably plays best with you know two or three cops in it, and you can totally solo that just yourself. But you you know drive around the city in a police car, and you can ditch your car and jump into a motorcycle or a sports car and zip around. And he was kind of explaining it to me just in this super high energy way. And I just get more and more excited as he was talking about it. And by the end of the conversation, I dropped a hundred dollars on this thing. So that's, so that's where I was at. So I brought that home from origins, um, strongly motivated to like it. Right. Cause when mm -hmm. you spend a hundred bucks on something, you're like, I better fucking like this. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. I really um, like the, uh, the art style. I'm looking at it on board game geek. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. There's yeah, and one so of these far, characters, one of these characters looks just like Mel Gibson in uh, that's right. Eleven. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah, you could like Mike, you could be Gabe Fulton, who's basically Mel Gibson, and <laughs> Tom, you could be Wilson Fox, who's basically Eddie Murphy from um, Beverly Hills. And, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, it, I mean, that's definitely the thing that grabbed me, right? I think we're all looking for themes that aren't as common, right? So something that's a little bit different and. 
I'm, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't especially love the genre of 80s buddy cop movies, but I've seen my fair share of them. And when I saw this board game, I was like, oh, that's something I've never played before. I totally want to try that. What, um, what was the theme of their Street Masters game? Was that also like a Cops and Robbers? It's a think of like like a like a, a side scroller video game. I'm trying to think like oh, uh, Streets of Rage is probably yeah, what they're yeah, playing. Yeah, like, okay, all right. Like like you're fighting enemies, right? right. Um, and it's a co-op game where there's that the villains are played by an AI deck. So again, like all of their games have that same core mechanic to them that okay. the you're, you're fighting against the game it has an AI and you can either solo it or play it with other people. Well, so far you're you're not you're doing a terrible job of saving me money. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think uh, let's see how can I tear this down? Because because I kind of love this game and I kind of hate it. Tom, you did a, a, a recent video. I kind of want to promote this because I think it's a great idea. Um, you did a video about uh, Defenders of the Last Stand. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Yes, yes. And, and, it, and it was kind of a games that you love that 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 kind of fuck up in some ways, right? Right, um, yep. And you, you kind of – you the reason why you're critiquing it so hard is because you like it. And I kind of feel that way about Brook City is I kind of love this game, but I, I did – end up selling it so i i played it really intensely when i got back from origins and i played through all the scenarios uh, over a really uh, you know uh, kind of an intense week-long foray into the game and uh, there was sort of this growing sense of unease as i went through the scenarios and by the time i finished it i decided to sell it um but i do think it's a game that would you know, you know, I hate to say stuff like this, but I, I think with just some mechanical tweaks and somebody with some different ideas, it could have been something really great. Um, so, what was the growing sense of unease? That what what did that come from? Um, there's a lot going on in this game. So, rather than try to tackle everything, I, th I think what I've decided to do is I'm going to tackle three things that mm -hmm. I both really liked, but but there was a dark side to that thing as well. Okay. And as, as I played the game more, the dark side ended up kind of overwhelming the experience. Mm -hmm. So the, the first thing is the city itself, right? So uh, the way you can think of Brook City is that it is an adventure co-op game, much like something like Eldritch Horror or the original Arkham Horror, right? So there's um, a map with lots of locations on it, and you are going to be... Um, trying to fulfill a large quest, right, while at the same time stamping out lots of fires that are popping up around the map. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of envision that in this theming. Like, the big quest is some kind of um, crime, some big mystery that you as the detectives have to unsolve, and that's going to involve you going around the city and digging up clues, collecting those clues, and eventually kind of piecing them together to solve the crime. It's not nearly as as narrative or as thematic as, as um, that detective game that Mike told us about, you know, a few podcasts ago. It, it really is more like just collecting clue tokens, right? right. And right. and eventually when you get all the clues you need, you can, you can solve the mystery. But at the same time, you have to stamp out these these problems on the map or they will they will overwhelm you and they can serve as a loss condition. And um, each of the 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 suspects in the game has different 
villain. So just as an example, one of the suspects in the game is basically a drug dealer. His name, I think, is Gus Ferguson. He's the most interesting. And he's cruising around town in his Corvette collecting cash from each of his drug dealers. That's sort of ends up popping up around the city mm-hmm. and if you let those drug dealers sell too much um, and he gets too much cash he'll eventually trigger the end game like you've let him garner too much influence mm-hmm. right so in addition to going around and collecting these clues at locations you also have to be busting these drug dealers periodically um, and the, you know again on the face of it this sounds great and you look at the city and it's sort of this grid coordinate city with lots of buildings on it and there's laundry mats and there's a park and there's this and that and at the first glance the, the it's it's super intriguing um but the negative is that the the city really feels really dead and lifeless like oh. it's it's it just not a lot is going on in the city itself and very little differentiates the actual locations from one another they're just they really are just random locations where a token is going to pop up so a token pops up in the the laundromat versus the park it, it there's there's no real thematic connection to those locations it's just a random draw that that determined that um and especially in the beginning of the game the the city really is dead it's just you and your buddy and a car and one token on the board um and then over the course of the game if you you know especially if you don't stamp the fires out sure you can start seeing more and more gangsters pop up on the board but um, I was really disappointed with how how lifeless the city felt. Like I think this game needed there to be a little bit more going on in terms of random events or witnesses to interview or fun ways to interact with the buildings, the specific right, thematic right. buildings that you see. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it, no, it, it totally it, makes sense. It makes me like. Do you think maybe because I don't in, in Defenders of the Last Stand, one of the things that I eventually realized by looking at the cards was that certain things were more likely to happen in certain areas. And once you know that, those areas then acquire some unique uh, uh, attributes. Like you know these guys are over here, those guys are over there. Is there maybe something like that going on in Brook City? I don't think so. No, and that would be really cool. Um, But no, I really... That's really a missed opportunity, isn't it? Because, I I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, like a a map like that should have personality, okay? Yeah, no, the, the... The, the, the personality of the map, which is, again, it's a pro and a con, I think comes from the movement and, and geography sort of system. Like, this is a game that where, where distances matter. So you're mm-hmm. on one side of the city, and, oh, my God, there's you know a drug dealer on the other side of the city, and he's just racking up a ton of cash, and oh, I have to get there really fast, or something really terrible is going to trigger. And so you're like, okay, well, how can I how can I get across the city quickly? Like one of the things you can do is drive to the river and ditch your police car for like a yacht or a speedboat, and you can take the river to the other side of the city much faster, right? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Okay. And when you can pull something off like that, that feels very thematic and cinematic. I mean, mm-hmm. this game is really trying to give you a sense that you're in an action movie, right? right. Um, but there's just not enough of those opportunities in the game. So much of the game, and this is going to get into my uh, later criticism, so much of the game feels like a very repetitive movement puzzle where I'm kind of pinging back and forth between random locations in the city um, without there being a, a real thematic connection to the locations I'm visiting. Right, right. Ugh, I mean, that's I, too bad. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I even think like, um, again, like I often come back to Eldritch Horror because it is one of my favorite examples of this type of game. Like Eldritch Horror did a nice job of making each of the, the cities in the world um, different. So mm-hmm. I know that if I go to Tokyo, that's a good place for me to knock out monsters in the world somewhere. So if the map's filling up with creatures, I can go to Tokyo and I might get lucky because that deck is stacked towards monster destruction, right? Right, right. Or London is the place to drop clues. And the, and, 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 it, and there's icons on the map that make this super clear. Like, oh, if you want to increase your influence, go to this city, blah, 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 right? Um, this game doesn't have that that same understanding of how you can make a geography more interesting and layered. Right, right. That, that's that, that's a, that's a huge oversight to me because I, I love maps and I think most people who play games love maps and you're literally that's the stage that this is taking place on and right. the, the stage like different places should have different types of importance in different situations and yeah, Eldritch Horror is a great example of that and it's one of the reasons I definitely prefer it over uh, Arkham Horror which was just kind of like little houses situated around that didn't have like any real world connection. Like I don't I don't think of anything about where Ma's diner is compared to Arkham Asylum, but I do know where Japan is and I do right. know that if my character is in London, it's going to be a hard time getting over to Japan. And I do know that every adventure in Eldritch Horror takes place in one of those uh, remote areas that's hard to get to. Uh so, yeah, like I, uh, people should be so proud, like game developers should be so proud of, of their maps and should just right. love them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah, that was, I think, the biggest disappointment, right? Because that's kind of what sold me is I saw this cool city at, at yeah. Oregon. And I was like, oh, I want to play in this world, man. And the, the, that brother really sold me on it. And, and then once I started playing in it, it felt soulless and empty. Which well, is looking a, at it here, Hassan, like it definitely looks like the kind of thing that when you were a kid, you would drive your Hot Wheels around on. <laughs> totally, yes. Like that's that sort of thing. If I, yeah, when I, that, that's, that's awesome. That's all I ever wanted for my cars to drive around on a diagram of a city like that. Yeah. Right, right, totally. All right, so what are the other two things that are going to save me money? All right. So the, the second thing, um, which is one of their big cells, is is what they call the modular deck system. And, oh, it sounds like you're going to cost me money. Go on. Right. I love modular uh, decks. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, I kind of hate that they use this term because it's 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 they're kind of acting like they invented it, which is bullshit, <laughs> right? So oh, don't like, they even call it like the MDS? Like, isn't that yeah, in? Yeah, 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 right. Like, yeah. oh yeah, the modular deck system is <laughs> totally our thing. It's like. <laughs> Like Sentinels of the Multiverse did this, right? Which is um, pick a I, – I, Tom, you're more familiar with this. You guys are probably both more familiar with this. But you pick a villain. You pick mm-hmm. a, like a location, right? Environment. And, it's your environment. environment. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and you then can each superhero has a, has a deck as well. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's that, right? I mean, even fucking Smash Up did this. It's not like this is like a brilliant thing that these guys come up with. But it's, it is a great sell, right? Which is that, hey, our game comes with – three different suspects, three different cases, um, something like eight different cops. And hey, every time you play, you're going to pick one of the suspects, one of the cases. That already there gives you a bunch of different permutations. And then, hey, are you going to solo it with just one cop? Are you going to play two cops? Yeah, there's so many different cops to play. Um, One thing I will celebrate, because I think it's pretty cool, is that each of the cops comes with a unique deck of cards. So this is a mm-hmm. this is a sort of a hand management game, and that deck of cards determines the actions that you can take on your turn. And mm-hmm. some of the cops, for example, are just much better at 
um, driving vehicles, right? So they can they can hop into vehicles and get around the city a lot faster. When they're in a car, maybe they can move extra spaces. Uh, one of the cops, um, her name is. I, I can't remember. Oh, Selena. Yeah, she's a sniper. And so you don't actually even need to move her very much. You can kind of set her up at the top of a building and she can snipe drug dealers from like three blocks away, which is fucking sweet. (laughs) Um, So, you know, each of the comps has like a different deck. Right. And I like that a lot. Um, The. So, so you, you, again, the cell draws you in. You're like, oh, there's a modular deck system. It's going to give me enormous variability. But, but, and here's the downside is that now that every game feels way too similar. Uh-huh. Uh, so, it, you know, each game really does end up playing out as, as, like I said, like a movement puzzle uh-huh. where you're, you're trying to get to the various locations, which are either going to be collecting tokens or not, you know, going, engaging into this kind of combat to take down these these like gangsters that are going to pop up around the city. Right. Right. And I, I, there's just not enough difference between the cases. There's not enough difference between the suspects. And I think more importantly, um, there's, there's not enough escalation in this game. Like I think, uh, you know, this, this might be even just, a, it needs to be a core feature of any game. I don't know, but it, it, the game needs to change across the course of a session. Mm-hmm. And, in, 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 in adventure games, you need to feel like you're growing in power a, as well as the tension of the end game seems to become more dramatic. Like it needs to be looming. Like, oh my God, there's a doomsday approaching or the, the enemy is growing stronger. There's something, right? And this game just feels more like a flat line. Like you're, the, the enemies don't really get that, that much stronger. Your cops can kind of grow in power, but there's not much of a loot system in this game or an experience system so what you're doing in the latter part of the game is very very similar to what you're doing in the beginning of the game right and that that means that the game has a real tendency to drag or at least feel like it's dragging which is you know the same thing right right yeah elder tor would do such a good job with that too with the different like elder gods and how they would sort of tweak the the overall doom system and uh, how that would escalate as gates were opened and stuff uh yeah you definitely need like turn one can't play anything like turn five, which should play very differently from turn ten, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And and again, like I mean, the advantage that Eldritch Horror and those types of games have is that they they kind of shower you in loot, right? You can find cool items and magic items and this and get spells, and that's such a satisfying part of the character development. Um, I think thematically, because this game is is different, right? Like you're a cop. It doesn't necessarily make sense that you'd be showered in loot over the course <laughs> of the game. But um, but it, it's unsatisfying that you're not you're not especially more powerful at the end. So right. again, the game just tends tends to drag. So. Well, just uh, be mentioning that one of the games that I think of when you talk about that need for escalation, uh, and I, I think I've just come to appreciate this more and more for how well it does um you know the player has to become more powerful but also whatever's pushing back on the player has to become more powerful and you have to not like it has to trick you into making the game feel different or actually change the game like if i have if, if something hits me for one point and then i've only got two hit points and then later in the game I have 10 hit points, and now the thing's hitting me for 5 damage. Like, that's the same thing, just the numbers are bigger. Um, 
and that'll trick me a lot of times. That'll work. But a game that I that I really feel does that really well, it escalates me and makes me feel super powerful, while the AI system that I'm fighting against also gets super powerful, uh, is Spirit Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. For Spirit Island and how you grow your god while this colonizing force is also growing across the island. And I love how both sides of that game escalate with different types of powers. Um, so. No, I- I think that's a great example. Yeah, that yeah. game really, I mean, by the time you, you finish that game, you can trigger off just some amazing combos with your cards. And yeah. yet at the same time, um, it really feels like you're always fighting tooth and claw, like right to the very end. Right. You look at the board and you're like, there's no way I could win this. But then right. you look at your powers and there's no way I could lose this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's no, the third? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's a tough it's a tough thing to pull off, but yeah. but it's it's really necessary. Yeah. Um, the third thing is the easiest thing to talk about, which is that uh, it, this is a game that is is I think sort of a classic example of kin- Kickstarter miniature bloat. Like yeah. if you look at the Kickstarter page, it's like, hey, look at we have all these different gangs, and each of the gangs have different molds. And look at we have a yacht mini and you know a motorcycle mini and we have a moped mini and and it just comes with so many minis and they're totally unnecessary and they they bloat the cost of this game to a hundred dollars when it it, this game should be 50 bucks and if this game was 50 bucks i'd probably be singing its praises i'd probably say yeah this is totally worth it you're gonna you're gonna get you know 10 15 hours of enjoyment out of it i it's 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 super fun especially for those people who like solitaire games it's it's worth it to go through it but for 100 bucks no definitely not like to me that makes a big difference yeah 50 dollars of plastic in there yeah yeah yeah. uh you you mentioned scenarios Is is there like a campaign or you just play separate isolated scenarios what's the overall structure for it yeah, there's no campaign. You you definitely it's that modular deck system where you pick the suspect and you pick the the case that you're going to try to solve. Um, but they are they are pushing that through expansions, right? So I only bought the base game, but you can absolutely go out and already pick up a number of expansions, which give you different cases to play with, um, as well as you know different suspects which which come with different gangs and new cops that you can pick up. But I and that this is one of those games, right, where I kind of want to love the game, so that I, then I just go haul, you know, whole hog into it right, and buy right. everything. Like right. I'm totally down with that for, especially for solitary games. But no, when I when I finished the base game, like I said, I I was I was re- I was done. So I kind of you know I washed my hands of it. I sold it, and I don't regret it because, um, I, like I said, I think there's there's a lot of cool stuff in here. There were there were some really cool cinematic moments and. Um, you know, a couple of the games I won really, I felt like by the skin of my teeth, but in every single game, I felt that it went on too long and that I was, I felt like I was rinsing and repeating far too Mm. much. Sounds like it needs more verbs, like more ways to interact with the city and more things for your characters to do. And therefore that would give them different kinds of cards in their decks. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's always a weird criticism to say that this needs more rules, but I, I actually do think that this game would have benefited from some greater variety to the experiences it could, could offer you because it's trying to do something super cool. Well, Hassan, maybe if you'd gotten the expansions, (laughs) Maybe it's a game that costs $200 instead of $100, and you just did it wrong. I was going to ask Hassan if he bought all those, because looking at Board Game Geek, and there's like five or six expansions already. I assume they got released at the same time as the main game. Yeah. Yeah. 
and 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 you know this is one of those that i'm kind of glad i didn't see it when it was a kickstarter because i might have just gone all right. in on it. <laughs> right um but it's a good lesson too which is that you know uh, it, you know a game can can have an, an extraordinary appeal at, on the face of it but then you play it and it can it can periodically reveal a certain emptiness and that's kind of how i feel about brook city yeah and the thing is too, like it, it's so, it sounds like you, it's so easy to identify, and, and I don't mean to like armchair design, but how hard is it to fall in love with your map and make it do cool different things in different areas? Like that's right. something that all designers should do. And how hard is it to realize, you know, moving and shooting people, we should probably have other different activities for our cops. Uh, I, I guess too, you know, it's like if Street Masters was successful, they can just sort of retheme it and do a variation on that and. There's no incentive for them to really redesign anything, I guess. What is this Alter Quest game? Is it just this in a fantasy setting? Yeah, I, I think there's there there's certain truth to that. It's a dungeon crawler um, that is based around their their modular system. It is it is pretty pretty appealing in that sense, and that every time you roll it up, you'd pick like a different boss and I think a different set of baddies that might inhabit your dungeon. So every session is going to feel different, but. My, from my conversation with them, they they indicated that a it's it's definitely a more complex game, which which I, th- oh. I actually think that that would be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and b it does have a campaign structure, so they're putting ah. you can either play it as a one off or you can link together your your games into a, a campaign um, right. that where your character will grow over time. And the Kickstarter blew up. I think it did really really well for them. Yeah, and, I, I backed it too. Um, it looked. I, and actually, I, I knew about UltraQuest before I knew about Brook City. <laughs> so, but it looked appealing because I like anything that's you know like Hero Quest or Warhammer Quest kind of dungeon crawlers. Uh, is Brook City in retail channels, Mike? Do you know? It is. It is not as of yet. Okay. All right. So I bet yeah. UltraQuest at the you know the retailer level, so I'll get you know six copies. So. How far out is that? Do you have a sense? Uh, like next see. year. Next year, 2020, June okay. 2020. All right. It looked really cool. I'd be curious to. I mean, I hope you guys. I hope one of us plays it because I think it has potential to be a, like you said, Mike, like kind of like a a modern, good hero questy type game mm-hmm. um, that plays different than other dungeon crawlers. It's just that when you see dungeon crawlers nowadays with minis, that's such a clogged market, right? There. I mean, even even in the solitaire world, there's just so many options you can take if you want to do a dungeon crawler fantasy game. Um, so I'm hoping it does something different. Yeah, Did you play... and... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, like you said, Hassan, when I see all these Kickstarters with, you know, 200 minis, I just kind of glaze over and I lose interest unless I hear otherwise. Yeah. Right. It's just there's so many of these where they're pumping them full of minis just to get the cost up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need boxes that big anymore either. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right. So what uh, what Kickstarter what what Kickstart campaigns do you guys currently have outstanding? Hmm. Let's see. Could, could you name them? I have. Well, see, I back more than probably you guys well, do. Right. Actually, you're detail. right. You're you're kind of in a unique situation. You yeah. probably back most of the like Tainted Grail, for instance. Is that uh, is that, that a going concern? Uh, that one I have not backed, uh, but mm-hmm. I backed like Blood on the Clock Tower and the new Terraforming mm-hmm. Mars expansion. There's another uh, Terraforming Mars expansion. <laughs> wow, okay. And that one, for some reason, you know, they've had six, seven expansions, and then this one's yeah. going to be Kickstarter. I don't know why. Uh, All right, huh. That one, they're, they're doing something cool where it's it's called Turmoil, and they have this Senate 
where you kind of put people on it and you can change the rules of the game if you earn enough votes Ooh. to this little political thing, which is kind of cool. All right. Yeah, Terraforming Mars is just so good already that I worry about... Because I've only played with... I've, I've used one expansion, and I don't need any of the others, I, I kind of feel. Like, there's just so much game there, I'm, I'm worried that they keep adding stuff. Uh, but that one sounds kind of cool. I like that in theory. Yeah. And I, you know, we play with all the expansions. <laughs> which oh, okay. I think they're they're all they all add a nice little unique thing. Probably the Venus board is probably the the least important because it's just another uh, meter to to raise up right. through uh, the resources. But then uh, the colonies adds this cool little trade mechanic where you can invest in putting a colony somewhere and you earn bonuses anytime someone wants to trade with it. And oh, that game is so good. <laughs> Does the patent deck get diluted? What was that? Does the patent deck, because the special, uh, sorry, the cards that you, oh, I think oh, they're called um, patents, does it get diluted? Um, well, they keep adding more, but only a handful in these expansions. Uh, most of them just add other boards, and okay. then, you know, a handful of cards that interact with that board in some way. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Right. Uh, Hassan, what things do you have Kickstarter? Can you think of them? Um, I'm I'm pretty I, I I'm pretty selective about kickstarting stuff. So I, I do have Tang Garden that I kickstarted a while ago, and that's supposed to deliver. It's it's really late, but it's supposed to come at some point. Um, uh, what it, what it, is it? I don't even know how to describe Tang Garden. Um, it's like a Zen Zeny Euroy build a tile placement game where you're building a garden it looks super super pretty i mean this is one of those games i supported because it just looked pretty and had kind of a different theme and i thought that i could play it with my wife possibly so um, what, what kind of uh, what kind of minis does it come with oh you should check it out man <laughs> it's, it's actually got a lot of minis um and the other one i'm, I'm tempted by right now and i don't know if this i should even say because i have not clicked the back button but it looks really cool is um Shasin, the political strategy board game. Um, it's it's coming out of India. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. Um, no, Dan, Dan uh, Throw just did a, a really quick review of this one, and it looks super interesting. Um, but it's like an area control game themed around politics, and you can either play with a U.S. deck or an India deck. So it's sort of themed to you know whatever country or your political system you're more familiar with. Mm-hmm. But um, it really looks like it's it's gorgeous. It looks like it's a couple developmental steps away from being amazing. And I, I love area control games, and I like the idea of it being themed around something you know very different. What What's the word you're saying? Shasen. Yeah, it's spelled S H A S N. Okay. Huh. And you had or hadn't heard of it, Mike? <clears throat> I have not heard of that one. No. Okay. Um, I do. Uh, Reavers of Midgard, the sequel to Champions of Midgard, is coming up oh. really soon. Oh, uh, and I back that. So I'm excited. Is that just another that. worker placement? Or are they doing a different kind of game? Uh, it's similar, um, although it's all focused on uh, going out on ships on various kind of quests and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually I got in a demo session next week at Gen Con. I'm going to get to play it before it comes out. So I'm excited ah, about that. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you can tell us about it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's you know their target release date was June of this year, so it's going to be shipping relatively soon, from what right. I understand. Uh, the two things I have outstanding are Tainted Grail, which uh, is against my better judgment. And I, if anybody <laughs> wants to take my Kickstarter campaign for all-in for Tainted Grail, uh, email me. You can have mine. Uh, and then another thing called Lifeform, and I don't even really remember why I backed it, but it it looks like some sort of hidden trader mechanic, uh, alien kind of homage 
but I think it had like a solitaire expansion. I you know what? If you if anybody out there listening wants that one, you can have that one too. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think I'd learned my lesson. Uh, yeah, the other ones I have, I have this X Otis uh, Rise of Corruption. I have Dungeon Drop. I have a lot of these. <laughs> There's a new Root expansion. And Mike, are you by- backing these as a retailer where you get like a, a bundle of them? Is that yes? Yeah, gotcha. usually it's six. It depends on the company. Uh, I have a couple left over from that I backed personally, like uh, the new Eclipse. Right. Uh, and then the new one from Peterson Games, Startropolis, which we mentioned last week. Gotcha. What, what do you mean, new Eclipse? So There's they're like doing a new a, edition or something? A, new edi- a second edition of Eclipse, yep. Which does what? Just ties it in with the expansion or revises it? or? It's a whole revision. Um, you know, they fixed the missile problem. Right, thank you. Good, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, some new races and a few new mechanics. It looks cool. Um, it's got some really nice looking minis and stuff, but it is, yeah. it is a revision. <laughs> Well, I mean, Eclipse had just a handful of minis, right, for your ships on the board. It wasn't a ton, but... Uh, is that is that pending, or that's already available? Uh, that's pending. Okay. Let's see. Right. They originally said it was going to be delivered in March of 2019, which they have missed. <laughs> so, yep. who knows? All right, and so you're going to Gen Con. That's, uh, I am. That's so pretty next, cool. I... Next podcast, I should have some stuff to report on. Good. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. I look forward to hearing that. All right, and so we had... Let me see if I can remember the name. Dern, twat, no, shoot, Doppel, Doppel <laughs> and Clever? Doppelt, so clever. Doppelt, so clever. I was so close. Uh, Brook City and uh, Car- Valeria Card Kingdoms. We'll be back in two weeks with uh, more games. Maybe, hopefully, uh, a report from Mike about Origin. Uh, or no, about Gen Con. We already mm-hmm. had Origin. Uh, and I will talk to you guys then. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Mike Pullman, Hassan Lopez, and we'll talk to everyone next time. Cheers.